The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We've been going through the book of James for the sermon series. Today we uh, pick it up in the middle of uh, James 2, starting with verse 14, where we hear some powerful words about how our faith transforms our lives and our actions. So starting with James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Excellent. Official good morning. I've already told you who I wasn't. I guess let me tell you who I am. I am a professor at Concordia. I know you've all never met a professor from Concordia before, so it's truly an honor to be here. That was a joke. You have them all over the place around here. They grow on trees around here. But but I need to tell you this. So I, I teach in the ministry preparatory program where we're preparing youth ministers, children's ministers, missionaries, all kinds of workers in the kingdom. And I just got done teaching a, an, an intensive class on missional leadership, where we really teach the students what the church should look like more than just the hour you gather on Sunday mornings. What does it mean to be missional, to be out in the community, serving the community? And about halfway through this week-long intensive course, one of the students raises their hand and says, as we talk about this and get into this, I can't help but think that Axley Andrew is doing it right. So, of course, I said, what do you mean? That's a good Lutheran question. And, uh, and he said, well, we have this daycare for teenage moms serving the community in that way. And we make sure that, that nobody parks in our neighbor's parking spots. And we go to bars and talk about sex. Thank you for what you do and for being an incredible role model for my students. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. All this in Jesus' name, amen. I love the book of James. I got to tell you up front, though, it's kind of controversial, so thank you for inviting me to speak on a controversial topic. Uh, Today is about good works and their connection to faith and salvation. Now, we grew up in, if you grew up in different church bodies, you probably have a different response to this idea of good works. Some of you grew up in a church body where you were told if you did not do good works, you were going to hell. 
right? Or at least spending lots of time in purgatory. Others of you grew up in churches that were so afraid of works righteousness that the, the word good works actually became a negative word. So what is the connection between faith and good works? And as the title of today's message is, as James says pretty bluntly, faith without works is dead. So to get this all going, let me start by this idea. Good works are good. Nobody wrote that down. Okay, I'll, I'll keep going. Good works do not get you into heaven. However, good works bring heaven to earth. When you are out loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor, serving those who are less fortunate than you, you, by the mercy and grace of God, are bringing heaven to earth. And by the way, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying this exact thing. Because you pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in... Confirmation, students? There it is. Thank you. Well done. Good works do not get us into heaven, but good works bring heaven to earth. Now, as we get into this, I need you to, to meet uh, my seventh grade daughter, well, seventh grader for like 48 hours. Don't get too excited. Uh, she's going to help us as we dig into James. encourage you to get out your Bibles and follow along. I'm going to rudely stop her and start her, but she's used to it. She's been doing this her whole life. So uh, as we get into this, we're going to look at the three questions James asks first. The three questions James asks first. Hit it, honey. What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? All right, stop right there. Great question. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Great question. Let me tell you about one of my biggest pet peeves, and, and I need your prayers, because I am a Cleveland Browns fan. Not very often, but every once in a while, I will be out in public, I will be out in society, and I will encounter another human being who is wearing a Browns shirt. This excites me to no end, and I will always approach them and say something like, way to go, Browns. And usually the response is a high five, an occasional hug, a mutual respect and understanding because nobody pretends to be a Browns fan. However, on one occasion in the great state of Texas, I ran into a dude wearing a brown shirt. I went over to him and said, hey, way to go, Browns. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, dude, it's just a shirt. My heart broke at that moment because it can't be just a shirt. Can you imagine being a fanatical sports enthusiast like me, loving the Browns? And you come to me and you say, do you own any brown shirts? And I would say, brown shirts? No, 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 no. 
I don't wear brown shirts. And you would say, have you ever been to a Browns game? And I would say, no, 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 no one wants to go to Cleveland. No, I would never go to a Browns game. And you would say, well, they have this invention called the television. Do you watch the, the games on TV? And I would say, no, 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 I never watch the games on TV. You would hopefully walk away from this conversation and say, you are a big fat liar. Good works are the fruit of faith, the evidence of faith. There's this beautiful word that Jesus uses, this word witnesses. He uses it in Acts, he uses it in Matthew a couple of different, different times. And he says this point blank that you, his followers, his disciples, will be his witnesses. My fear is we, we don't understand what that word meant in the context. We think now that witnesses is watching something. You remember a couple years ago when LeBron James first became LeBron James? That's now two Cleveland references, by the way. When LeBron James first became LeBron James, Nike's campaign was, we're all witnesses. Now, I do like myself some Nike stuff. However, they don't get the first century Jewish idea of witnesses. In a first century Jewish court of law, a witness was proof that something happened. You could not be convicted of a crime unless there were at least two eyewitnesses of the event. So when Jesus says to you that you are his witnesses, you are proof that he exists. That he is who he says he is. Confirmation students, your life is proof that Jesus is who he is. This is how James can boldly say, faith without works is dead. All right, honey, next question. Question number two from James. Can that faith save him? Ooh, good question. Can that faith save him? All right, a couple different answers here. Short answer, yes. It is possible to have faith and not have works. Thief on the cross did not have time to do any good works. But Jesus still said, today you'll be with me in paradise. However, at the same time, we have to also say it isn't about works. Leilani, tell the people what incredible experience we had on Friday night. We saw Wonder Woman. Was it wonderful? Yes. Give them your, your quick uh, review of the movie. What would you think of it? I thought it was better than Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two. Yeah. I hope you know how huge that is. I don't know if you're a Marvel person or a DC person, but Leilani, was that God? Wow. Thank you, Lord. But let me, let me just tell you Leilani's opinion. She went as the Hulk for Halloween a couple years ago. She loves herself some Marvel, and yet you still loved Wonder Woman. Why? I thought it was a better movie. But why? Because Wonder Woman and all the different actresses and actors are very good. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell you who wins in the movie. No spoilers. However, I will tell you, in the final battle, there becomes a theological, it becomes a theological debate between the villain and the Wonder Woman. And they're discussing the role of humanity and existence and what this all means. And Wonder Woman says this. It's all about what you believe. 
Amen, drive safely on the way home. It's all about what you believe. All right, honey, question number three. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Oh, man, that's a great question, too. James is three for three in his questions thus far. Uh, as I said before, I'm a recovering youth minister. I've been a nerdy college professor for about eight years now, but I used to be a really cool youth minister, and that was a very, very long time ago. Uh, my first call was to Hawaii, and my, life, my wife and I always say that we are living proof that God exists because you do not leave Hawaii unless God tells you to. And now I live in Texas. Where are you now, God? Come on, I mean, let's... Uh, the, the homeless population in Hawaii is huge. Anybody want to guess why? The, the correct answer is it's Hawaii. Thank you. A absolutely. There was an amazing organization we worked with called River Life that, that was in downtown Honolulu, and we got to serve thousands of people lunch and dinner. I love this ministry. However, one of the quirks of their ministry was to get lunch or dinner you had to sit through an hour-long worship service. I was at the front door one day, greeting people as they came in to the River of Life mission. And there was a man who was ridiculously skinny with a beard that hadn't been touched in forever. You could tell he'd not showered in a very, very long time. And he says, I got to sit through an hour of this stuff to get fed? And I was trained to say yes. And he shakes his head and says, I just need something to eat. And he walks away. How can we, in our gospel presentations, also fulfill the basic human needs that people have. What I want to humbly suggest to you now is that people will be much more ripe to hear the gospel message if they have a full stomach. Amen? Keep going, baby. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show okay, go back to the last part, honey. I'm sorry? Sorry, go back to the last verse. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right. Let's dissect this. Um, Leilani is an artist. I'm colorblind. This is why things work out so great. Uh, we want to give you a simple way to grasp this and maybe even by God's grace communicate this to others who do not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to walk you through this idea of law gospel response in as simple a way as possible. And we're going to use three very important and very powerful images. The first one is this. We call this in theological circles a sad face. A sad face. Because here is the reality. There is a law that I on my own cannot fulfill. The good works that I do, the scripture says, are like filthy rags. 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We cannot live up to the law. We cannot be perfect. And that makes us sad. Hopeless. Now, the law isn't bad. The law was actually given to us to make our lives better. However, we quickly learn that we cannot live up to it. So with each of these, I want to give you an SOS. And for the law, it shows our sin. It shows our sin. But here's the beautiful thing that God in his mercy and grace knew that we could not fulfill this law, knew that we could not save ourselves, so he had a plan and he sent a savior. He sent Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, died a brutal death on a cross that we would never want to endure, and rose again under his own power to conquer sin, death, and the devil forever. This is the gospel message. And the gospel, grace, makes us... The second image? <laughs> it's second service. It's been a long day. It's second service. Makes us happy because Jesus fulfilled the law in a way that we could not. Because of his death on the cross, we now have forgiveness and everlasting life. Too often in the church, we stop right there and we say, Jesus loves you, amen, have a nice day. However, we got to get to a third, oh, the SOS, the SOS there, yeah, yeah, sorry, cross, good, good, good. And the SOS here is the gospel shows our Savior, shows our Savior. The law shows our sin, the gospel shows our Savior, and the third image is what we call in the theological business a teleface. A face where the mouth is wide open because that mouth is spewing the grace and love and mercy of God to the world. This is the good work part. This is our response to the gospel. We do good works not to earn our salvation, but out of response for what God has done for us in Jesus. This is our response to the gospel. So here's your SOS here at the bottom, okay? When we have received the gospel, SOS, we hear the world say, see our suffering. See our suffering. In the prayer time before church this morning, can we call that prayer time, right? Great name. In the prayer time before church this morning, we prayed for London. I am so thankful that you all are a church that prays for our brothers and sisters across the pond who are hurting. And this isn't a political prayer. This is a Lord, have mercy, comfort those who mourn, guide our leaders. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in... Confirmation students. Dude, we're getting better. That was so good. That was so good. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, um, a, a pastor who died in a concentration camp in World War II, ran an illegal underground seminary. He was legit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we need to view people less in light of what they do or don't do and more in light of how they suffer. My friends, can you hear the world say, see our suffering. What is your gospel response to the suffering of the world? 
we got to get back into James, and, and we're going to go through this a little bit quicker. I'm going to give you a bigger chunk to read, Leilani. I want you to notice a few more questions are asked here, and then some uh, Old Testament examples are given. Uh, hit it, honey. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from work is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac to, on the altar? You see, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, he was also, was not also Rabbi, the prostitute, justified by works when he received the messages and sent them out another way. All right, stop right there. So do so you see the spectrum here? Uh, two Old Testament characters. You have Abraham, the patriarch. By no means a perfect man, yet his faith empowered him to do good works, sacrificing or willingness to sacrifice everything. On the other hand, you have Rahab, the prostitute. How much fun is it to hear your seventh graders say the word prostitute in church? Amen. If you don't know what a prostitute is, go home and ask your mother. She'd love to explain it to you. On the other hand, you have Rahab who risked her life to hide the spies, God's people, uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb, because of faith. My guess is everybody in this room falls somewhere on that spectrum. God's grace has been given to you. What is your response? What is your response? All right, honey, last part there. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right, stop right there. You can have a seat, honey. Can we thank Leilani for her ministry? I appreciate you, baby. I really appreciate you. All right there, notice how spirit in that verse is small S, not capital S. It is not Holy Spirit. It is spirit as in breath. Breath. Take a moment and do this. My guess is, this is the first time all day that you've thought about your breath. Breathing is a natural part, a natural extension of who you are as a human being. And what James is suggesting here is that doing good works is a natural part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Just like this. I love when people ask me, uh, Jake, what are your spiritual gifts? Because my response is my top spiritual gift is turning oxygen into carbon dioxide. Don't even think about it. It's just a natural thing that happens every few seconds. What is your response? One of the challenging things about reading scripture is wrestling with what is descriptive 
as in what, what is described in a specific moment or story, and what is prescriptive as in a prescription for humanity now and, and, and always. And I think this fits well into our response because is your response going to be a universal, everybody does it response, or is your response a personal, individual response? A couple New Testament examples. There's this guy in, in the New Testament that, that we now call the rich young ruler. I guess why we call him that. Thank you. That was kind of a softball question, so thank you. I appreciate that. This gentleman comes to Jesus and says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? I have kept all the commandments. And by the way, in the book of Mark, and this story is told in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In, in the book of Mark, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. We, we quickly want to say, well, he's lying, right? Because no one can be perfect. But Jesus still looked at him and loved him. He was trying he was trying. And then Jesus says to him, sell everything and give it to the poor. And the man walked away sad because he was very wealthy. Guess how many times in all of Scripture Jesus tells people to sell everything and give it to the poor? Just that one time. Just that one time. So Jesus tells one of the wealthiest men to become one of the poorest. All right, another fun story. John chapter 3. You've got Jesus talking to a Pharisee, one of the wisest men in all of Israel. His name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him at nighttime. It's the first episode of Nick at Night. <laughs> Thank you. I love that joke. Thank you so much. I love that joke. Nicodemus comes to him and says the same thing. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to one of the wisest men in all of Israel, be born. You've heard this story before. All right, pop quiz. How many times in Scripture did Jesus tell somebody to be born again? Once. So get this. He tells the wealthiest to become the poorest. He tells the wisest to become a baby. How is Jesus calling you? By the way, in the book of Luke, after the rich young ruler story, we get the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the Zacchaeus story? What was Zacchaeus? A lot of answers. Interesting. Um, he, he was a chief tax collector and a wee little man, and he encountered Jesus, got connected to Jesus, Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden he starts saying, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to stop cheating people. I'm going to repay them and give them more. I'm going to give half my stuff away. And Jesus looks at him and says, you got to give everything. No, he doesn't. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. What is your response going to be? I, uh, <clears throat> I want to confess to you that I am a mission junkie. I have been, by God's grace, on short-term mission trips to every continent on the planet except for Antarctica, but I want to go, so confirmants, if you've got any connections, let me know. People always ask me, what, what was the most impactful mission trip you did? And without a doubt, it, it was with the uh, illegal underground 
church in North Africa, in Middle East-ish kind of area. And I'm talking to my missionary friend there, who at the time was 26 years old. This is in 2004. Um, he became a Christian at 16 years old. And he lived in a country where it was illegal to convert to Christianity. So the moment he told mom and dad that he's now a believer in Jesus, they kicked him out of the family. They didn't report him to the authorities because then that would be a death sentence, but they kicked him out of the family. He then moved a couple countries away and became a secret agent underground missionary. And we're doing a prayer walk through this city, and we're sharing our stories, and I'm hearing more about what God has done in his life and the people he has lost because of their belief in the gospel. And the question I've been dying to know is, are you ever afraid? And he says, absolutely, all the time. He never knows when they're going to come in and take him away. And by the way, Confirmance, remember a few minutes ago you said, even unto death? Remember that? This, this guy lives that every single day. But here's what he says. He says, the way that I'm able to work through this is every morning for 10 years I have prayed this prayer. Lord, today, make me a little bit bolder. Make me a little bit bolder. Lord, today, make me a little bit bolder. What would happen to your response if every morning you prayed, Lord, make me a little bit bolder? What would happen to your family? Lord, make me a little bit bolder. What would happen to this church? Lord, make me a little bit bolder. What would happen to Leander? If every morning we prayed, Lord, today, make me a little bit bolder. By your grace, make me a little bit bolder. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We, we thank you for the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. And Lord, also this time we, we have to confess we have to confess our, our, our sins, the, the, the laws that we have broken, the things that we have done that have been against your plan for our lives. And, and we also need to confess that the good things that you put in our life for us to do that we, we've chosen not to do. Lord, all of these things we lay at the foot of the cross, trusting in your mercy and grace. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for empowering us to respond to your gospel message. And Lord, today, make us just a little bit bolder. All these things we ask in Jesus' holy and precious name and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.